Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Can you believe it's a new year? (laughs) Some of you are happy about that, I hear. (laughs) You know those are just numbers, right? <laughs> I do like uh, I do like to seek the Lord at the beginning of the year for uh, a specific sort of direction or word for our church. I don't know if you remember last year, but the Lord gave me like six sermons on how are you going to be strong in 2020. Seemed a little prophetic because the Lord gave me a dream and He showed me these elements of strength. So if you go back to the beginning of the year before we knew what was going to happen, the Lord was saying, be strong. This year, the Lord has been speaking to me about even what we were singing about, that this is a year for you to experience resurrection power. Not simply to know that you're forgiven, that's important, but to begin to rebuild, renew, reconstruct, and resurrect and that is a whole other, that's a whole other level of the Christian faith. Some people live in a kind of defeated Christian life, always just sin, confess, sin, confess. And others begin to understand, hey, we can also understand and experience the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is spend the next four weeks, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, which is Paul's conclusion about the resurrected life of a believer. We're going to look at those every Sunday. And then also, I'd like to ask you to join me. I know a lot of you can't do this in the time that we do it, but at 9 o'clock on, on every weekday, uh, our denomination is doing a 40-day prayer journey. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to piggyback on that 40-day prayer journey, and we'll have a Facebook Live uh, devotion at 9 o'clock. I'll put it on a podcast every day. But I'd love for you to realize that we, in the, in the Alliance, we have something like, uh, uh, I think it's 6 million worldwide believers that are part of our, our movement. And, and all over America, for 40 days, we're going to be seeking the Lord with, with people all across the U.S. and probably all across the world. Something happens when Christians start being on the same page. And I love this week's, uh, this week's emphasis is the holiness of God. You know, because if you just go to God and say, God, we just need you to do this, this, and this, then God is nothing more than a Coke machine. You know, that you're trying to put the correct change in and get a Coke out. And, and when that happens, the God tends to say, you don't understand me. And so the awesome thing is to start with the very nature and the character of God and then let Him start to form and shape what do we ask for now so for 40 days we're gonna we're gonna go after this together with all of our alliance brothers and sisters and we're gonna see what god does because we don't just want him to work in new york we want him to work all over the world to bring glory to god would some of you join me in that uh again you can you can look up uh, I think the uh, daily devotional for that, we, we're going to try to put on our website. You can definitely get it at the CMA uh, website, which is cmalliance.org. There's a daily devotional. 
that'll be a part of that. And I'll do a live devotional with that every morning at 9 o'clock. So will you do that with me? Would you go after that with me? Let's, let's see what God wants to do in 2021. We've seen, uh, we've seen what the enemy wants to do. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So now we want to see what resurrection power looks like in 2021. So our first passage that we're going to look at, and the idea here is God is resurrecting you to rebuild you and through you to rebuild His kingdom through you and to bring what is true of heaven and invade where you are. Your assignment is to bring heaven to earth. And so we get to Romans 12, and Paul begins to explain how we begin to be those instruments of the kingdom. So I'd like you to read with me. I like it when you read out loud God's Word together as a church. So let's do this together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, if any of you have been following our daily devotions on, the, on Facebook, before Advent, I was working through the book of Romans. And when you come to chapter 12 of Romans, you're coming really to Paul's final section of his letter that he's writing. And you see, in verses 1 and 2, you, you have what, what we could call a hinge between everything that Paul has stated about the gospel in chapters 1 through 11, and then how Paul begins to write about our response to the gospel and how gospel lives are formed in believers. But you see, when you come to the end of chapter 11, Paul makes a very drastic kind of statement. It is a a statement about the state of the world that you and I live in. He says, In verse 32 of chapter 11, he says, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. What you see, friends, is that God is very realistic about the world we live in. He is not looking at it and glossing over it and saying they're doing the best they can. He's looking at the world and saying this is a world of disorder saying this is a world with people who have disordered hearts and at the top of their priority is disobedience and you and I have got to begin to understand that that this is not a world your world my world is not a world that can win the favor of God or earn the approval of God we are living in a world and order even In the United States of America, we are living in an order that is opposed to God. That there is anything at all that looks like the kingdom of God is miraculous. It is either the restraint of the Holy Spirit on on the wickedness of people, or it is 
Christians finally standing up and rising up and saying, we will be houses of prayer for all nations and my house will be one of those lights. But this world by nature, God is saying, is a world of disobedience. And this is so important that we get this. There is no way to come into right relationship with God by working harder. It is only here God says, I want to have mercy. I want to show mercy to all. Our only hope is the mercy of God. Look, look, at, uh, look at this final words that Paul writes in chapter 11. He says, for from God and through God and to God are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Here, here's what this is saying. If you want to change your world, whether it's your family or your business or your school or whatever it is, it has to be from Him, it has to be through Him, and it has to be for Him. If it's just you've got a great idea of how the world ought to run and how politics ought to go and how things ought to go better if you were in charge, then you are a fool. Because unless it's from Him and through Him and for Him, then it's just more disobedience. It may be a newer form. It may be dressed up differently, but it's just more disobedience. And if you really want to see resurrection power this year in terms of your family, yourself, and others, it has to be to His glory, not for your comfort. Look what it says. To Him be glory forever. You see, in some ways, if you want to live in resurrection power, there are things that are going to have to die. Because you can't resurrect things that aren't dead. If there are things that are to be rebuilt, then that means there have to be things that are torn down. <laughs> Lisa has completely destroyed my TV watching and all I watch are fixer-upper shows. And one of the things you look at all the time in these shows is the bad work of somebody who came before. How they didn't make the wall straight, how they didn't pour the foundation right, how they didn't do this, and you can't build on that and go forward. You have to tear it down. And if you don't tear it down, you just paint over it and act like it's not there. And later on, it kills you. I mean, I've seen some of these shows where I don't know how the floors are still holding up because there's nothing connecting them. The wood is so rotten or so termite-eaten or whatever it might be. You understand, when God says all of us have this issue of disobedience, He's saying all our foundations are rotten. They have to be torn down to be rebuilt for it to actually work and for us to be able to go forward. See, we live in a lost world, a disordered world, and because it is a world that does not know the glory of God and it does not acknowledge the glory of God, that is our mission to bring the reality of the glory of God to this world. And you can only do that through Him, for Him, and by Him. And so this is why when Paul starts to make his appeal to you, 
He's not making an appeal for you to just be a more moral person. That'd be like you putting paint over mold. He's making the appeal that you be a new person. That you be a surrendered person. That you be yielded and say, Lord, I need this supernatural resurrection power. Look what, look what Paul is basically saying in the book of Romans. He says, our mission, your assignment, has got to be motivated by more than just your discomfort with a disordered world. It has to be motivated by a compassion for people who do not know the glory of God. In some ways, in other words, if we are the church who has come to experience the fullness of the glory of God, we cannot stand that our friends, our family, our neighbors do not know His glory. Again, I, I use those silly shows. If you've ever watched these shows, um, Lisa does this, she records them. Okay? Because then you can breeze through the commercials and you can see the thing at the beginning and you can see the reveal at the end, right? And I, I'm like, honey, you're the greatest. I can enjoy it that way. All right? Because that's what I want to see. I want to see the reveal at the end. I want to see what it was and I want to see what it... I don't really care what they do in the middle because then Lisa might want me to do that to our house. I just want it to magically be perfect at the end. You know, no problems whatsoever. But have you ever seen one of those houses and you go, I'd buy that house. I don't want to live in Waco, you know, Texas. I don't want to live in Galveston or any of these other places. But those houses look beautiful. You see, there's a glory at the end that says, I'd want that. What I'm saying to you is in this rebuilding God's doing in your life, in this transforming that He's doing in your life, do people see something in you that they say that is glory? And the only way you get there is if you are committed to glory. I, for years, have taught a lot on emotional and inner healing. And the problem is that most people who want inner healing just want to feel better. And, and the issue you see is if all you want to feel better, you just want your pride to not be hurt so much. But in order to really be healed, you have to see how bad you really are. And you have to get at the root of the bad so that you can really get well. But it's painful to do so. And so because it doesn't fit with pride, the only way somebody really gets inner or emotional healing is if they say, I'm going to go through the pain because I want to experience the glory. And the glory can't be your glory. It has to be the glory of God. I've never seen anyone get healed just because they didn't feel well. I've only seen people get healed because they begin to have a vision for the glory of God to be emanating from their own life. So they wanted a before and after picture that made a difference. Are you tracking with me on this? So here's the issue. No one is righteous. Everyone is a fixer-upper. No one can vindicate him or herself. And so God here in Romans 11 says, I want to show you mercy. 
I want to be the one who defends you myself. Here's the issue, though. Is that what you want? Because for some reason, and we're going to look at this in depth over these next few weeks, but some reason, every Christian has varying degrees of glory. Whereas God has all glory, but every Christian I know has varying degrees of glory. So there must be a voluntary aspect where it's up to you how much glory you receive. So in other words, you get to decide how much He rebuilds you. You get to decide how much He reconstructs your life. If you say no, He puts it on pause. Because I see Christians, many who have little glory, but they're Christians. And I see some who are totally surrendered Christians, full of glory. And it it isn't that God didn't have glory for both. It's that the one believer wouldn't go all the way and the other did. In other words, this is one of the hardest things for a lot of believers to bring in, but you're as free as you want to be. But the cost of freedom, Paul is saying, is pretty high. And so many of us will not pay the price. So what is is the cause that God uses to rebuild in a year like 2021? Well, the cause is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the early part of Romans, I love how Paul writes this book. It's one of the most, it is the greatest book in in the Bible to me. Here in, in chapter 1 he says, God's Son has descended from David according to the flesh. Do you, do you see, all of like theology is, is, is contained in this one little phrase. Look at this. God's Son, that's His deity, has descended from David. That's the covenantal promise of God. I will make your throne an everlasting throne. But he says, but he's done it according to the flesh. So here's God's Son who's become human. The eternal God has become man. And Paul puts it in one phrase. Awesome. It takes me 45 minutes to say what he says in one phrase. Sorry about that. I wish I were better. And then he says, and who this, through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul in this, in this passage is explaining to us what's going on inside of you. You have to understand what's gone on before so that you understand what's going on inside right now. And what Paul is saying, he's not just talking about the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus, but rather he's talking about Jesus willingly humiliated himself, not just humbled himself, but humiliated himself in his human form. I mean, think about what we just have studied and looked at over Christmas. Born in a manger. Born to poor couple. Born without any any earthly fanfare whatsoever. Born according to the flesh in every way like you and like me. And yet, what this passage is saying, that in His humiliation, the Father has exalted Him. 
Because he was willing to be humiliated for you, the Father has exalted him by the resurrection. And it's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the Father says, this is my son. He's raised, you see, in a way that's just so powerful that the Father is saying, I vindicate you. And then Paul says this about you, that this risen Christ has called Paul as an apostle, but he calls every believer to bring about through the gospel what Paul calls the obedience of faith. And he even says among the nations, Paul, one of my favorite phrases he uses, he says the purpose of the resurrection is to bring about the obedience of faith and that that will be nourished throughout the nations. You look around this room, we have a number of nations represented, a number of cultures represented. And Paul was saying this was the plan of God is to bring the nations and to nurture them and to bring them into a place where they experience this thing Paul calls the obedience of faith. This is one of the most important terms in Paul's gospel. And it, it, it's a powerful it's a powerful term in this way to describe what needs to go on in your life. What should characterize your life is what Paul calls the obedience of faith. Now, some people, when they look at it, because it's an interesting kind of Greek construction, is they look at it and they try to figure out, well, what's Paul saying about this? And, and so one of the things is obvious that, that if you have real faith, it produces obedience. If you, have a, if you have a phony faith, then you're not going to do what Jesus asked you to do. You're not going to do what the Bible asked you to do. You're going to do whatever you want to do. So one of the things Paul is clearly saying is that if you have a real faith, it produces a real obedience. If Jesus says something to you, you do it. If the Word of God says something to you, you obey it. That's real faith. But that's not all that this means. What this means is, is really this, friends. is the only obedience that counts, the only obedience that brings you into right relationship with God is faith. You see, in the, you, you could be stopping gossiping, and that'd be good for you, but it wouldn't be saving to you. You could stop having you know, lust or sexual immorality, and that would be good for you, but that wouldn't be saving for you. It'd be good for your own well-being, It'd be better for you than living an immoral life, but it's not saving to you. The only thing that brings you into right relationship with God, the only thing that God counts is you saying, Jesus, you're my Savior. Jesus, you're my risen Lord. Jesus, what you did for me, you did for me, and it's sufficient for me. And it's only when you come to see that what he did, not only did he do it for you, but you began to apply it to you. And you began to say, I'm in right relationship with God. I'm a child of God. I am loved by God. I have been accepted by God, and I am acceptable to God. You see, every day that you fight doubts about whether you're accepted by God or not, is a day you're not living the obedience of faith. Because you see, these three words are often interchangeable in the Scriptures that there's this, this incredible synergy that goes on in the heart of a true believer where faith produces obedience, but faith is always exhibited in trust. 
I'm not saying there won't be doubts in your life, but I'm saying the end result of every doubt you have has to be greater trust. It has to be greater obedience. You see, if, it, if what's going on in you is basically unbelief, then it's not faith. Are you tracking with me, or is it too early in the morning for this kind of discussion? You understand, if you want this year to be successful, it isn't you make a bunch of resolutions and then fail them. It's that you say, Jesus has already done for me this year everything I need. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. And when he says move, I'm going to move. And when he says stay, I'm going to stay because I'm going to have the obedience of faith. And you know what will happen? The real resolutions that matter to you will actually take place instead of these stupid ones that we aren't going to do. I'm not going to eat any bread in 2021. I live in the greatest pizza place in the world. Come on. I grew up, I grew up in the South where, the, where pizza was basically bread with ketchup on it. So, right? And some kind of cheese. Who knows what it was? You see, at some point you have to taste the genuine. This is, I, I always say it pizza because it was such a shock to me because I thought I'd eaten pizza. And then I moved to New York in 2004 and I had a slice and went straight to heaven. <laughs> I thought it had cheesecake. My mother used to make jello cheesecake, that one with the, you know, the fake cherries out of the can and all that kind of stuff. And I, it was good. But then you have the real thing and you want to slap your mother. I mean... <laughs> You're like, you call that cheesecake? Right? This is what I'm talking about. You see, you don't have to tell a believer to be obedient. They already have faith to be obedient. You don't have to tell a believer to trust because they already have the obedience of faith because they know who they trust and they know what they've done. This is where I find we're struggling in the churches is that we haven't come to this place where we've tasted the real enough, the glory enough, and we're settling for the counterfeit. I'm not trying to pick on all the other teachers in the world or all the other preachers, but it all comes down to this. If you don't know what he's done for you and you've not experienced who he is to you, then you will not have the obedience of faith. And every step will be a fight. You will not want to do what Paul is about to ask us to do because you can't trust the one who's asking you to do it. This is what Paul is getting at. And there's an order to everything in terms of the Scriptures. First is us coming to this place of understanding what Christ has done for us. One of the things that um, Paul says in Romans chapter 4 when he talks about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus for you, he says it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, you can't just see the resurrection as a concept that you believe in. 
you have to begin to understand that the resurrection of Christ is an event you were united to. That you died with him and you are raised with him. If you are a believer, you're not the same person you were before you weren't a believer because you are now raised with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this resurrection of Jesus, Paul says, is everything. Because he says, the death of Jesus has no meaning without the resurrection of Jesus. And the reason is this, it, the resurrection is the confidence given to us that Jesus' sacrifice is accepted for us. You see, if Jesus is not raised, then all Jesus was was a crazy man. But if he is raised and he said, I'm taking your sins on me and I'm giving my righteousness to you, then his resurrection is the Father's vindication and the Father's declaration that you're accepted and that that sacrifice was accepted. This is why the resurrection is so important to me. You see, I know that I know that I know that I'm accepted by the Father, not because my life is better or because I'm living a better life, but because I know Jesus is raised from the dead. I still see my faults. I still see my limitations. I still see areas of doubt. I see the areas where I'm learning to trust because I have some broken trust mechanisms. But when I look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then I can have absolute confidence that I'm accepted by the Father, not because of me, but because of Him. And this was always woven into the Old Testament. It was woven into the Old Covenant. You see, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would make the sacrifice of the perfect lamb. And the people would wait with just, you know, almost bated breath. Is he going to come out? Is it going to be accepted? And when the high priest came out and he spoke, the people gave a sigh of relief because it meant the sacrifice had been accepted. And the priest came out, and you know what? The first word he said, shalom. He, he, he blessed them with the peace of God. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he said to his disciples, Shalom. See, the, the priests could make the promise of peace, but Jesus could give them peace. Peace with God. Peace with themselves. Come on, am I, I know it's not many of you, but can we get a little excited about some of this? Do you know, again, can I just tell you one of the ways to look at shalom it's not just the cessation of hostilities it's not just the cessation of tribulation but peace the shalom is this all the loose ends get tied up isn't that awesome in 2021 can you hear your risen savior raise his hand over you as his disciple and he says to you the loose pieces the pieces that are frayed, the pieces that are all over the place of your life, shalom, I'm tying them up. I'm binding them together. I'm giving you the resources to be and do what I've always designed you to do. You understand? That's resurrection power to take all the pieces of our life and to bring them together. All these loose pieces tied up. And Jesus says, when he comes out of the tomb, he says, shalom, the pieces are tied up. But the Father said, uh, 
Can you guys advance that for me? For some reason, I don't know. I, some of you go to sleep on me, and the computer goes to sleep. I don't know. I'm starting to feel offended. <laughs> Even the computer wants to hurt me. So here's what here's why I'm making the resurrection such a big deal about this. Is because in Romans 5:10 it says, "How much more then, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life?" So, in some ways, what Paul is saying, and you've got to get hold of what happened in the resurrection. But then he says, "But now, when he says how much more, those are those are huge words for Paul. He's telling you there's more for you, and he says, "How much more then shall you be saved through His life?" You see. He's saying this, if he's died to bring you forgiveness, then he will not ignore you now that he's living in his glorious and triumphal life. In other words, if it costs him his life to give you forgiveness, he is even now totally engaged with you in his resurrected triumphant life. This is why, you see, you begin to stop trying to lead God into the life you think he ought to give you and you start responding to God in the life He's leading you into. You're not going to get God to respond to your agenda until you realize His agenda is so much better for you. If He died for you, if He did all that to forgive you, do you not know how engaged He is with resurrection power to rebuild your life right now? Look at Romans 6. Because we belong to Jesus, we are united to Christ. We died to the dominion of sin in His death. And we are raised to newness of life with Him in His resurrection. See, the question is, again, the obedience of faith. It's not, okay, I'm going to try to be a better Christian. I I would love to, in Jesus' name, slap you upside the head if you say that. With all love. Because it's stupid. It won't work. But if you were to say, I'm going to believe Jesus for resurrection life. I'm going to believe Jesus that I've died to sin. I'm going to believe Jesus that the loose ends are being put together for me. Then I would say, yes, that's it. Let's encourage you. Because guess what? If you are responding to what he's done for you, he gets all the glory. Because Paul said it's from him and through him and to Him, and to Him be the glory forever. Let 2021 be the year of glory because you start to believe in His resurrection power. Look at Romans 8.11. Paul, do you understand the reason I'm doing it? I'm trying to show you the whole of the book of Romans is resurrection. It's reformation, reformation, it's reconstruction, it's renewal, but the power of it has already been unleashed in your life. Look at Romans 8.11. And if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. The degree to which you experience that power is to the degree to which you believe you have that power. And that power means this, the grounding of your justification. In other words, you may go to God every single moment of every single day, even when you've messed up, and you can go to Him knowing that you're accepted by Him. 
Because your acceptance isn't because you messed up or you did good. Your acceptance is because Jesus has already gained your acceptance for you. And the resurrection is the vindication of what he did for you. It's the guarantee that whatever happens in your life, he is your defender. Just as the father said to Jesus in the resurrection, this is my son, because you are resurrected in Christ, he says over you, this is my daughter, this is my son, and he is the preserver of your life. He is the instrument of our sanctification. That's why I say to you, when people come up and say, I'm going to do better, I say, that's not the instrument of getting better. The instrument of getting better is to believe the power that worked in Jesus is at work in you. And to begin to relinquish your own willpower so that you can actually have spirit power. And that comes from the resurrection. And it is the assurance of our ultimate resurrection. So then Paul says, if you get this stuff about resurrection, he says, in light of all this, in light of God's mercy towards you, because you don't deserve this, you haven't earned this, he's given this to you freely. He says, what are we to then to do? And Paul says, I beseech you, or I plead with you to yield yourselves to God as living sacrifices. See, here's the deal. You cannot give yourself as a living sacrifice until Jesus is your living hope. If Jesus is not your living hope, then you're going to begrudge, you're going to resent, you're going to hold back in sacrificing because you have to be your own hope. Or your job has to be your hope, or your romance has to be your hope, or whatever else on this earth is your living hope. That's what you're always going to sacrifice to anyway. And so Paul says, if Jesus is your resurrected living hope, then that's because of the mercy of God. Now God is saying, since he's your living hope, will you become a living sacrifice? This is one of the most important therefores in all the Bible. This is what one of my teachers used to call the grammar of the gospel. And, and I, I got to get this through to you. See, there are numerous times in the Bible that there are imperatives. Okay, an imperative is telling you what to do. It's a command. So there are lots of imperatives in the Bible. But the problem is you cannot confuse the imperatives with what you would call the indicatives. So in other words, if you don't understand what Christ has done for you, then none of his commands will make sense to you. And, and, and one way to look at it is this. Nothing in your life is worth building. And nothing in your life will stand whatsoever if you haven't first received all that Christ has done for you. Um, one, great, one great man of God said it this way. Take a, a hundred looks. Take a hundred looks at what Christ has done for you before you take one look at what he's asking you to do. Will you, will you just say that with me? Will you say it with me? Take a hundred looks at what Christ has done for me before I take one look at what he asked me to do for him. See, most of us have taken a hundred looks at what he wants us to do, and we failed. And so therefore, his work and his, his finished work has not given us confidence. 
has not given us a sense of acceptance, and so we feel defeated. See, so many people, I've been around the church my whole life, so many people in the church have reversed the order and have said, I need to be sanctified so that I can be justified. In other words, they've said, I have to be holy and moral and good before God can accept me. That's the opposite of the, of the gospel. It's actually the disorder of the gospel, a perversion of the gospel. The gospel says, you're always disordered. You're always broken. You've got nothing to give. But he's given everything to you. And now he's asking you to receive it and then to take your hands off your life. Notice what it says, a living sacrifice. So in other words, it's not something that makes you approved of God. It's not something that makes you acceptable. Jesus has already done that. But it's taking your hands off your life because you know now that Christ is your life. One of my, I have so much more to say and I have to finish. So one of my teachers, um, uh, theology teachers had a brilliant way of looking at this. He said, what Paul is saying is that when it comes to your life, you've taken your hands off your life and you've given your life fully to Jesus Christ. Here, here's what he means by this. God is not asking you to make sacrifices. He's asking you to be the sacrifice. He's not asking you to give these things to him. He doesn't need your things. He wants you. So there was, a, there was a young woman. She was 15 years old. And she made a commitment. She had a, a, a drastic kind of experience with Jesus back in the 1930s, 20s and 30s. And she gave her life for missionary service. Now, I don't know if you know, but, but you know, to go to the far, particularly to the eastern part of the world into Asia and the different countries in the 30s was incredibly dangerous. Many, many missionaries lost their lives in Japan and China and other places. But she felt committed and called even in the 1930s as a 15 year old, she felt called to go and she said, God, I will go. And she said this to God, I'm taking my hands off of my life. And so she went and prepared and she found a mission agency and they said, we will send you if you get the training and we'll send you only if you get a husband. Because if you don't have a husband, it's too, it's too unsafe, it's too dangerous. So she went through the training and she got to the end of the training and she said, she said, God, I've taken my hands off of my life. Where's my husband? And she goes, I haven't even had a date. There's no husband in sight. I'm I want to leave to go to the mission field. And she's angry and she's yelling at God. And she said, I took my hands off my life. All you had to do was provide me a husband. And as she's screaming at God, she realized in that moment, she had not taken her hands off her life. She had had an idea of what the noble life would be of what the life of sacrifice would be, of, of how she would achieve her own vision of herself. And God had gotten in her way. And God had not provided the one thing she needed. And so he, she had been utterly let down. It wasn't that God had disappointed her. God had disappointed her vision of herself. 
And at that moment, she realized and she took her hands off her life and she said, God, I am yours to do with however you want to do with me. I lay down this vision that I have of a noble life. I lay down the vision of a heroic life. I just want to be a living sacrifice. I would imagine that most of us in this room, when we hear this, realize I've had a lot of hands on my life.